Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a couple pastor scholars dig into uh, the scriptures and offer some insights for reflection and our own personal formation, as well as the uh, preparation of preaching and teaching for those who might be preaching on these texts in upcoming weeks, uh, following the Revised Common Lectionary for the upcoming Sunday. I'm your host, uh, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. And this week, my guest is Sarah Dirk. Sarah is Associate Professor of Old Testament and the Chair of Biblical Studies, Theology, and Philosophy Department. Both of those roles are at Houghton College, our sister school in uh, the state of New York. So Sarah and I actually went to college together uh, here in Indiana back in the 90s, and we've got to connect over the years. She taught here at Indiana Wesleyan for a while. I keep saying here, that's where I'm sitting. It's not necessarily where you are, but she's uh, she's been teaching now at Houghton for a while and leading the department there. So it's great to have her on. I've been wanting to have her on for a while. She's a great interpreter of scripture, a great preacher. And so I'm really excited uh, to share her with you as she shares her insights. Our text this week is Luke chapter 18, verses one through eight. Luke 18, verses one through through eight. Be sure to rate and review and subscribe and share uh, the show and get the word out. I also have one little thing I want to pitch on her behalf. I forgot to ask her this at the end of the show, so I'll just pitch it on her behalf right now. She has a commentary coming out on Ruth, Esther, and Song of Songs. She co-wrote it with some others. It's in the New Beacon Bible Commentary. That should be coming out sometime in 2020, so keep an eye out for her commentary on Ruth, Esther, and Song of Songs in the New Beacon Bible commentary. All right, enjoy the show. We're looking here at uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Yes. So then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while, he refused. But later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, Yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice, so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we pause now to give you thanks for who you are, for all that you have done, centered especially, though, in your being present with us in the flesh of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray now that as we encounter this text of words remembered of him, We ask that by your spirit, the very spirit that was blowing over the waters of the deep before the creation of all things, the very spirit that inspired the prophets, 
the very spirit that abided on the body of your son, Jesus, the spirit that you poured out on the church. We ask that that spirit would be at work in Sarah and I this hour, and also in all who are listening in, that our eyes may be opened, that our hearts may be moved, that we may receive and respond to the word that you have for the churches in this generation. We ask for this spirit-empowered movement by the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thanks for reading and for doing this. Uh, what do you notice? What, what's jumping out at you today or lately about this passage? Yeah. So the first thing I, I notice is that uh, Jesus tells a parable and the narrator says that this is a parable about their need to pray always and not lose heart. So this is one mm. of the few instances when we kind of get the moral or the punchline <laughs> told to us before we hear the parable. <laughs> and so that's just something that uh, happens sometimes, but not terribly often. So there's not a conversation after this parable about, well, what did this mean, teacher? Mm. The punch or the weight of this parable is not necessarily in the mystery, mystery that we have to try and figure it out, but it's somewhere else. So that's something that kind of jumps out at me right away. We are told yeah. literally what the parable is about. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. I That's so striking because the, the, the text for next week in the lectionary, this, yeah, the same thing happens mm-hmm. again. It's actually, and it's also about prayer, which is yeah. interesting. And, and you get another one in chapter 19, mm-hmm. uh, and that one even appears in Matthew, and so it doesn't yeah. have the same yeah. interest. So, yeah. so you, I, I wonder, I, I don't know if this, I, I don't want to go too far afield, but I am curious if, if these sort of introductory framing uh, devices mm-hmm. are more frequent in Luke than in the others. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I've, ha- I've had that hunch lately and I've been yeah, wanting yeah. to get to that hypothesis as well as are they grouped towards the end here for a reason, right? Because right? we're kind of coming to the end of the, yeah. the, the, the series of yeah. the, the, the journey to Jerusalem, right? right and it's yeah. kind of the yeah. last couple parables are all getting as if the specificity and the meaning of the parables, as if maybe the stakes are higher now. Right, right. I don't know. I mean, it, it's yeah. cute. It's cute back in Galilee to tell a parable that doesn't make any sense, right? But, but as you're getting ready to, to die, you know, it's, it's right. not as cute to be That's so vague. Right. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. It's, like, it's as though Jesus needs to be sure that his disciples are hearing exactly what he needs them to know. And of Although course, interestingly, it's not him saying it, right? No, you no, know? no, the narrator. Yeah, the narrator yeah. is bringing that for us. So, and, and of course, in the previous chapter, there's all of this teaching about the Son of Man and um, and, and sort of like the, the focus on eschatology is, is definitely, you know, really zooming in here. So why do they need to pray always and not lose heart? Because wow. they are approaching a significant moment in time. And so, um, you know, by the end of this passage, then Jesus is wondering when he comes back. It doesn't say back in the text, but when the Son yeah. of Man returns will he find faith on earth? Will you be able to persist in prayer and faith? So it's like he's preparing them for his departure in some ways. No, that's a really good insight in verse. uh, Yeah. You can almost see that. uh, I never thought of that now, but that in many ways, the, you know, chapters, maybe 17 through 19, as well as some material. Once he gets to Jerusalem, 
perform a somewhat parallel function to like the farewell discourses in John. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and prayer comes up there too. So just the, that's a side point. I mean, we don't have to chase that down now, but. Well, and I think as, as this is not the only parable about prayer, there's the, the teaching in chapter 11 about the, the midnight visitor, if if your neighbor yes. knocks on your door in the middle of the night, and that's also about persistence in prayer. But what's missing there is this turn at the end towards ah. So here yeah. we have two parables about persistent prayer, and this one is focusing them towards faithfulness and withstanding and perseverance while they wait for the return. Wow, yeah, and of course, eleven is near the beginning of this journey yeah. to Jerusalem, and yeah, there so it's he's just it's teaching them how to pray. He's yeah, the Lord's prayer in chapter eleven. So yes, it's right after the Lord's prayer, and so it's more about his teaching of yeah how to understand who God is and how to live in accordance with that. And now, as we're approaching Jerusalem, the tensions raising. We're moving towards climax. Mm-hmm. The the he just did seventeen's packed with all this kind of intense yeah. end times kind of language right, right. eschatological discourse to use yeah. our, our uh, scholarly <laughs> lingo. Uh, but, uh, yeah. and son of man, that's such a good insight. And again, eight, just like verse one mm-hmm. uh, has a kind of, you see the pen of the narrator, yeah. right? It doesn't even, even as it's written, yeah. uh, not saying Jesus specified. In fact, one could even speculate that, the sort of discussion that you mentioned that happens with some where the disciples ask later, what does this mean yeah. that this could be over time? It's just been summarized down into a simple, yeah. yeah so right. it's, it's quite possible. It was, it was vague at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, and then Jesus in the mouth of, in the mouth of the Lord in verse six, we get the explanation without question. Like the disciples don't question. Uh-huh. So it's not as though, Jesus explanation in verses six to eight is prompted by a question of his disciples this time, but he does give it. And so we get this little forecasting by the narrator as we mm-hmm. are into the story that sort of, um, and, yeah. And Luke's pen, yeah. And Luke's pen sticks out like a sore thumb in verse six, it because he's one of the only, one of the only gospel writers to refer to Jesus regularly as, the, as Lord. the Lord. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So. Yeah. So you can almost see that the, the kind of, in terms of like with, and again, the point of this is not to try to figure out the true parable hiding inside of it. I'm not, not just to kind of understand the layers for interpretive reasons. Yeah. The verses two through five could work just as a parable with, with unclear meaning, yes, yes. right? The way you get in, in uh, like the one in 11 that doesn't explain as much. And actually this summer we had that passage from 11 and we ended up talking about this passage a little bit because yeah. the parallel is really, yeah. there's even some similar terms about shame, right? So right. even though you don't want to do it because of shame, you'll let them in, right? Um, and they're shameless, so that kind of stuff. Yep, yep, yep. So, and then in a narrative mode, you have like six through eight mm-hmm. in a way are, ex, you know, a sort of commentary on the parable using the language of the parable. Right. So that expands it a little bit. And again, you could think of a shortening of a longer story or, or an addition or whatever. And then verses one and because verse eight, I said six through eight, but really six through seven, because eight yeah. is a weird, it, it doesn't yeah. use the lingo, right? It switches to son of man, yes. it switches yes. to the coming back, which yes. doesn't fit the, yeah. the narrative 
and the lingo of the parable. In fact, as you pointed out very insightfully, it actually fits the language of the previous chapter right. on the son of man coming. Right. Right. Uh, and again, I mean, it's a statement from Jesus, but it even has this opening, which implies that it, these, I say unto you. Yeah. <laughs> right. So this has the vibe of a kind of standalone saying that could yeah. maybe be attached to multiple different stories right, or something yeah. that he would say often. Sorry, I'm not trying to play oh. faux, faux, uh, faux form <laughs> critic here or something, right. but you can kind of feel the, the layers of it. And the, the text reads slightly differently where you place the emphasis. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And then, so another thing I noticed is, of course, that one of the main characters in this parable is a widow, and Luke loves mm. his widow. <laughs> yes, of course. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that as Luke in, in emphasis. Yeah. And, of course, we don't know anything about her except that she is persistent. We get, really, we see the widow from the judge's viewpoint. So, in the right. city, there was a judge. And we, we get a description of what he was like. And then we actually get some of his inner dialogue in verse 4. The yeah. widow has no vocabulary, no um, dialogue of her own. She has no speech. She is truly a widow. And that is a very, um, is a very subtle and sophisticated way of locating the widow culturally mm-hmm. for us. Because, of course, in the Hebrew, the word for widow is almana, which means literally no voice or silent. She cannot speak for herself. So here in this passage, she does not speak. We are told that she comes and, uh, and we are, her speech grant me justice against my opponent is reported, but it's reported yeah. from the perspective of the judge who is annoyed by her. Yeah. So there you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we get a quote from her, but it's kind of, it's, it's one step removed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, three steps removed, right? It's kind of, it's it's told kind of from the perspective of the judge, and then, and then Jesus is telling the yeah. story, <laughs> right? Kind of at, yeah, at yeah. yeah. Um, and I think I think a worthwhile question here is why would a why would a widow, particularly a widow in that world, need to be persistent? And so then we can we kind of get into what is it what does it mean to be a widow in this world? Um, and it's not entirely clear here whether we're dealing with a Jewish judge or not. I mean, a judge ah. who, who neither fears God nor has respect for people that tends to suggest just on the surface <laughs> that he's not a Jewish judge, or maybe he's just a corrupted Jewish judge. It's right. you know we don't know for sure, but but so is the widow herself Jewish or or Greek? Uh, Roman, we don't know, but um, but widows had no legal standing, so they didn't have an identity on their own. That's why that what that's what makes them so pitiable, and why for Luke they are worthy of attention, and why they make such a useful sort of teaching tool, I guess. <laughs> I mean, while they have no political or, or, or no legal identity standing on their own, they're also in Israel is a particular, uh, the judges and the rulers and the religious leaders are supposed to, at least, the expectation is that they're supposed to pay, pay special attention to them, specifically because they don't have a husband or brother right. or son. This isn't just a generic dereliction of duty. No. But this is specifically 
what is expected of a judge in terms of yes. um, the justice of the covenant. Yeah. Um, even yeah. if he's a Roman judge, it's a sign that uh, uh, just a reaf- uh, it reinscribes the injustice of the Roman system, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really good. Judge, he's specifically abdicating his particular responsibility towards someone that it's his job to look out for. They're really supposed to be giving preference to the needs of widows. And here, not only is he not giving her preference, but he seems to be refusing to hear her case at all. Yeah, that's, that seems to be the impression, you know, unwilling, you know, whether he's, you know, hears her out and then blows her off. But, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have another hearing, I assume, in their no. system, maybe you know yeah. more than I would guess. But, yeah, and it's even very specific. You mentioned about the, that the system is built to, it's intended to uh, have a sort of bias is the wrong word because that gives off a negative connotation in our modern time, uh, a, uh, but a, a special respect and attention to the needs of a widow. Yeah. Yeah, right. Partiality. Yeah. 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 There you go. And and yet, even here in verse three, it says, "Give justice to me, or vindicate me from my, you know, yeah, ante dico, right? This, this, yeah. this, right? This, my uh, oppressor, my anti justice, the one I'm in. So there's clearly an, a third character in this story. Yes, and we don't know and, anything about them, but they are making trouble. <laughs> yeah. And though it doesn't say, and, and I wouldn't, it invites the possibility that if if this is a corrupt judge, right? And if this is somebody he knows, right? And he knows yes. that if we actually hears the case, he's gonna have to side with the widow. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, the best, and we all know that this is how corruption works. It's often not through blatant favor, blatant favoritism that can be traced with uh, with <laughs> with, yeah, uh, with right, right. Yeah, I don't think we need choosing to which. Choosing what topics to take up. Yeah, you know? exactly. I don't think we need to assume something as blatant as a bribe. It mm-hmm. could be simply social pressure being exerted on the judge to not bring yep. case into court. So yeah, and, and whether whether these these quasi speculative wonders about this this third character, at the very least, I don't know if I really saw it as a. I always saw it as a kind of a two character story, but there really yeah. is this kind of, yeah uh, mysterious no. third character. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So well, great. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we okay. come back, we can dig in a little deeper and see what we want to play with in terms of interpreting. Great. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. We're looking at Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And I'm here with my guest, Sarah Dirk, an old friend, but first-time guest. Yeah. So, hello. hello. Catching up a little on the break there. but Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so we tend to, I mean, it's not a precise uh, structure, but Mm -hmm. initial observations that kind of go everywhere, and then Mm -hmm. moving into interpretations as we sort of like think, okay, what do we want to... What kind of angles do we want to take on this text? What do we want to, what are some of the sort of deeper meaning kinds of questions that we want to explore? Again, I don't have a specific agenda there, but kind of what, what, what angle do you want to kind of take? How do you want to, how do you want to go in deeper with this? What, yeah. What's drawing your attention? And it may just be one of those observations, maybe a new observation that just yeah. comes to mind now, but 
So I think we talked before about the widows in Luke, and there is a particular widow that really resonates for me across this passage, and that is signaled by um, verse 7, will not God grant justice to his chosen ones? And here, this last Mm -hmm. phrase, who cry to him day and night. Yeah. We met a widow who is spending night and day in the temple crying out to God. In Luke chapter two. Yeah, that's Um, right. So cool. The book opens, of course, with this, the birth narratives that take us all the way really up until Jesus 12th year. But there in chapter two, when we meet the prophet Anna, Mm -hmm. we have in the flesh a widow who is crying out to the Lord day and night, waiting for the son of man. And it doesn't say son of man in, in chapter two, but she is looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Uh, the child who would bring about, I mean, she's not thinking of it as a child, but she is, mm-hmm. you know, she's waiting. And so we have such a widow in the flesh. And, and I think this is where, uh, when I remember Anna, as I read chapter 18, uh, Anna's not crying out for justice from a judge, but she is a member of an occupied community. And she's praying now there in Luke 2, it's night and day. And here in 18, yeah, it's just that. day <laughs> and night. <laughs> so um, so that just that just really strikes me. And as we as we think about sort of the deeper meaning of this passage and the perseverance of the saints in prayer, then that kind of helps us understand what Luke is saying, I think, in terms of the contrast that then he draws between God and the wicked or corrupt judge in the parable. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of those parables where the point is made by contrast, not by similarity. Right. Yeah. Or a, or a, or a kind of uh it's a bit of both in the sense of a, it's a how much more argument, right? Yes. That's, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a word for that, that I forget, but um, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a, I, I think it's it, in the, some of the, some of the books I've read on rabbinic interpretation, identify some of these patterns. And one of those is, yeah. A, and it's a pattern that, that Luke uses. Yeah. Frequently. Yeah. They're really common in Hebrews where he'll actually use the phrase, how much more than, right? Yes. yes, so kind yes. Of both comparison and contrast. There's an element of similarity here. Yeah. Uh, namely one in authority who is being called upon and rewards persistence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So persistence is being rewarded in both cases and yet yeah. with a, a whole different attitude and a whole different right. uh, uh, perspective. That's really, that connection to Anna is one I've never considered. And it's so obvious once you point it out, you know, it's like one of the, you can't unsee it once you see it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. And, uh, that's really powerful, especially because the night and day in the temple mm-hmm. brings in some resonances now yeah. into this passage because we're heading towards Jerusalem right? by the end of 19. The yeah. very next story in Luke yep. 18 is two men went up to the temple yep. to pray. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, so this, this very, the, there's these, subtle connections between temple prayer and 
the vindication of God mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the corruption of earthly judges and perhaps also the corruption of the temple not being directly yeah. spoken to, but right. that's, that's coming soon. Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it definitely is. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. That's really striking. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll throw this out there, mm-hmm. but the, the fact that the persistence of the persistence in prayer is what's necessary. I'm trying to remember the word at the beginning. All at all times yeah. to pray and not lose heart. Mm-hmm. Um, that and the reference to patience, the end of seven, seems to suggest that in terms of just playing with the comparison and contrast, right? Mm-hmm. So the contrast is that God, you know, of course, God cares about his elect. God's not doing this begrudgingly, right? Yeah, yeah. He hasn't been badgered into it. Right. And yet, it's not implied that God's going to do it quickly. Right, right. You know, the fact that persistence is necessary, the fact that there may be a delay that things might not come. Actually, well, verse 8 says, I tell you, he will quickly grant I know, that's what's so frustrating. So. (laughs) I don't understand what that means we are waiting on the son of man still. So. And the opening line, you're right. It does say it right there. I just, my (laughs) eyes didn't see it because in the passage, because in the opening verse in the last verse, well, this could come back to those layers. There could be some tension here. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Between a kind of a a sort of maybe straightforward, uh, straightforward is the wrong word, but uh, um, you could see how a parable I often think of someone like Luke as trying to place some of these stories in a context so that it will be clear to his audience. Yeah. And in that attempt, he's trying in some cases, I think to recreate Mm -hmm. an original context that would have been able to be taken for granted. Yes. Yeah. Of course, in the process of making it relevant. I mean, this is just like our own preaching work, right? Right. In the process of making an analogy to our own experience Mm -hmm. that also what, what, what makes sense of the passage also can distort in some yes. way. Right. And right. So yeah. it's, it's a curiosity to wonder if, if, if you take off verses one and eight, you know, <laughs> yeah. story ends up just being God will come quicker than yeah. this jerk. Yeah. 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 You can almost well, sense Luke saying, well, that's not exactly what he meant. Right? right. This isn't about, this isn't about, how soon? It's not that God will inter- intervene sooner than. Right, uh, right. And yet the word is still there. So it's, uh-huh. it's, there's a tension, I think, a little bit between the I, framing. Yeah, I think it is. And it's interesting, too, that um, so here in verses, in verses 7 and 8, what is it that God will do when he answers? Um, it doesn't necessarily say he will come quickly. It says uh-huh. he will grant justice. Yep. Both in verse 7 and verse 8. So even though this does have some, have some overtones of, you know, the son of man and the return to earth, all of that, this parable is about what we do in the meantime. Nice. Yeah. And I don't think that God is, I don't think that this parable is arguing that we have to wait necessarily mm-hmm. for Christ's return for any justice to be done. Preach it. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Keep going, keep going. (laughs) Yeah, so so if we are just called to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray for Christ's return, Uh, 
Yeah. Then this parable really is kind of empty. It's, it's a shallow, it's a shallow sort of exhortation. Well, just keep praying, just keep praying, just keep praying. You know, that's kind of, (laughs) um, (laughs) for something that none of us will ever see. And I think there's much more substance to this. This is not just about the return of Christ or even spiritual salvation. This is about justice in the beloved community in the meantime, I think, in some important ways. No, that's right. He'll bring about justice for them quickly. Yep. Which is in 8A. That's why I missed it. Yeah, There's no yep, quickness yep, yep. in 7. But, yep. but 8B, there is a contrast, right? It's kind of mm-hmm. like, however, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Yeah. So I, I think there's something... There's something uh, really, really important in this observation of yours, Sarah, to kind of see that there's both the, to always be faithful in prayer back from verse one, right? And to not give up mm-hmm. is having this, you could even say maybe it's having sort of two, uh, two forms of application, right? Yeah. It means yeah. on the one hand, keep asking because the God who has chosen you and loves you is going to intervene on behalf of the oppressed. And you're going to expect to see that. Yes. While at the same time, the reason you have to keep doing that is because the, the, the kind of fundamental making just of the whole world does await. Yes. Coming of the son of man. Is that kind of fair to say? I think Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. Then it introduces, and I don't want to overdo this, but heck I'm, (laughs) I overdo things is what I do, but you can almost see again, not in a rigid division, but at, for for the sake of clarity mm-hmm. and insight, you can kind of introduce a distinction here between the Justitia Dei and the Justitia Christi. This is a distinction yeah. made in the medieval yeah. mid, Middle Ages: yeah, yeah, yeah. the justice of God and the justice of Christ. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, they're kind of inverted from the yeah. way that this was spoken of in the late uh, medieval period, mm-hmm. where it was spoken of. Um, in the you know 1400s or so, that the justice of Christ is the righteousness of Christ is the stuff we get now through the sacraments, yeah. and the justice of God is the thing at the end of time. Yeah. And actually, sorry, this is totally an excursus, but hey, that's what the middle section's for. See where it goes, right? <laughs> um, this is this is the only part where I have training that's relevant. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I, I kind of can preach and interpret, but yeah, right. anyway, some theological historical theology here just to say that one way of framing Martin Luther's insight, mm-hmm. uh, his breakthrough. In terms mm-hmm. of justification by faith, we often mm-hmm. talk about it as the faith works thing, yeah, which yeah. is all important. But in his own context, what that the root of that insight is that the justitia Christi and the justitia Dei, the, the righteousness of God and the righteousness of Christ, are one and the same thing. That's right. So, That's right. So that to receive through word and sacrament, yeah, the justice of Christ, the 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 is to receive. The righteousness mm-hmm. of God. So that's a yeah. great insight. But what's fun here is you can almost split them apart again and yeah. flip them on their head uh-huh. Uh-huh. on this in this passage and yeah. think of, of course, God is still intervening on behalf of the oppressed. Yeah. And yet we're not, we don't, it would be false to expect that, that, that just is the coming of the kingdom. No, the yeah. kingdom is still coming. Yeah. So it is, and it is, it's a sign of the kingdom as it were. Yes. Yeah, word. absolutely. I don't know if that, resonates or if I just introduced material that just just totally obscures the discussion. So feel free to well, push back. I think it, there's clearly a tension. It's not resolved in the parable. Um, and that's actually 
it's a very fruitful way to teach, isn't it? I mean, if we think of this as one of Jesus' teaching moments, good teachers raise important questions and don't always solve the questions for their students. And, and, (laughs) (laughs) and so part of, I think part of what this parable is trying to teach us is, um, Praying always and not losing heart are how we will survive the tension. Yeah, nice. Yeah. He told them this parable to demonstrate the fittingness to always pray and to not lose heart. So pray always, don't lose heart because God will... Uh, act quickly, yes, uh-huh. <laughs> and because the Lord will come when He comes, yes, right? right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost true. Yeah, 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 right? yeah. Which actually, in many ways, fits uh, a Luke and uh, possible Luke and context, right? Of yes. a later writing that's yes, attuned yes. to yes, this problem of quote unquote delay of the parousia mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he's not erasing the immediacy, right? Mm-hmm. But no. he's introducing at least the possibility of, oh, that's really insightful. And, you know, it's not irrelevant that, uh, that the, these next, these upcoming parables, the next two parables, um, one at, right away and one in the next chapter, first of them, the, you know, he told this one, you know, about to directed the next one, verse 19, directed to those who trust in their own righteousness mm-hmm. and look down on others. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some resonances there in terms of the kind of uh, the self-justifying rather than the pouring out in prayer before God and trusting God. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And then all the more so the verse 19 one has the chapter 19 one is, is blatantly eschatological. He says he told this parable because some people thought the kingdom was coming right away. I mean, that one's pretty, that one's pretty straightforwardly like, Hey guys, even Jesus knew it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. 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 So this Um, is laying the groundwork for that. And and I think equipping the community with some pretty important habits and and attitudes of heart. Yeah, boy, you're so right. And this is just jumping back, although I'm sure it connects. But oh, you're so right to highlight the importance of the contrast mm. as crucial to the teaching here, yeah. because yeah. a lot of us have this sort of picture of God as. Too much like this judge. Yeah, and I've Um, even heard this and the parable in in chapter 11 taught that way. So the the takeaway from this has occasionally been expressed as, so our job as Christians is to badger God into agreeing (laughs) (laughs) with our prayer requests. If we will just be annoying enough to God, like this widow was to the judge, then he will relent and grant us what we're asking and that misses the whole thrust of this this parable how much more will one who has chosen you <laughs> the one who has chosen you how much more will he grant justice i think a misreading of this parable and the one in chapter 11 is actually fairly dangerous for our relationships with each other and with god and and yeah. you know the phrase prayer warrior in my upbringing, that has always sort of conjured the image of an older person on their knees for hours and hours and mm-hmm. 
And I wasn't always sure whether this warrior was in battle against the forces of injustice in the world right, or right. against God. <laughs> <laughs> sort of because of, you know, some, some sloppy handling of these two parables about persistence mm-hmm. in prayer. Yeah, and yet, how do you, not to undermine that at all, but just to introduce the, another counterpoint. Mm-hmm. Is, there is a place where we do wrestle with God, right? Where we're not sure. We do say, why, Lord? Yeah, yeah, um, of course. But wrestling, but that's not warring against. So I think the imagery of wrestling with God, which is an important, I think, image yeah. of prayer. Yeah, yeah. But warrior, that's a, that's a really helpful uh, statement and could really be helpful to, to highlight. what When we say prayer warrior, we're talking about fighting against yeah. the, the evil. <laughs> that's right, not, that's right not fighting against God. And then that brings actually, and, and maybe we can land here and then come back for some, cause we're already kind of moving in a fun preaching yeah. direction. <laughs> Thank is, And that's good. I'm not, yeah. that's not a problem at all. Um, is the last line of verse seven, right? Mm-hmm. Where, well, how did your version do it? What version did you read today? Uh, new revised standard. Okay. Um, how did it, so, how did it, um, a funny translation problem here. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, uh, will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? Hmm. Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's how my NA, NASB here does it. And I'm going to check in our, I'm going to check yep. RSV right real quick. Cause it's just, will he delay long over them? Yeah. yeah. And that's totally possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but translation. But it is just the word for patience. Will he not be patient upon them? Uh-huh. But I I'm in I'm much more inclined to just translate this straightforwardly because it's relevant to this to this yeah. problem. Yeah. He will be patient, unlike the judge yes. who only gave you what you wanted because of his impatience, because yes. of his irritability. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. God, on the other hand, right? So it's not talking about patience on our part, although that's relevant, right? Yeah. It's yeah. God will be patient. Um, God will not be annoyed with you. Yeah, right. When you ask him for stuff. <laughs> that's right. You know what I mean? Right? Yeah, I think that's... And the day and night does imply there is a persistence in prayer, and yeah. you may ask more than once, not because yeah. you're trying to shame God into acting, but precisely because of his patience mm-hmm. and wisdom. Mm-hmm. The timing's not always right, yeah. you know? That's right. Um, that's right. He yeah. does want to intervene. That is the direction of his will. He has chosen you. He's taken your side. Mm-hmm. You don't have to wonder whether he's on your side. Yeah, right. You might wonder when he's and how he's going yeah. to answer you. Sure, there. sure, sure. Yeah. I don't know if that's helping or not. I think Maybe. it is. I think it is. I think a, a more straightforward translation here does highlight the contrast that Luke is trying to draw out. Because he's an unjust judge, but I mean, you could also refer to him as an impatient judge, right? He was That's just true, yeah. found yeah. her annoying. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Um, and I mean, I could speak, oh man. But I, I don't know. I, th- I think this translation, I, I think that's an option as a mm-hmm. way of interpreting yeah. patience. I don't know. From yeah. your, I taught Greek more than me, but. Well, no, I, that makes sense. Yeah. And, I think there's different ways to handle this phrasing and that is okay. legitimate. Okay, so the so the our versions are it seems to be the usual way of taking it because mm-hmm. in context I could see why, but sure, sure. I thought I'd make sure I wasn't just out on a limb of no. you know how you can have you can know enough Greek to be dangerous. Where you're <laughs> yeah, like, that's like, right. Well, I know that word. That's the word for patience. <laughs> like, well, yeah, but patience. Uh, yeah, you know we use words in their context, so that's right. Um, yep. Awesome. Well, let's take a quick break. Come back and do some sermon starters. Great. 
And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, uh, Sarah Dirk, and we're looking at Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, yeah. the so-called persistent widow. I say so-called because it was hitting me as we were looking through it. I'm like, the, the precise word persistence actually does not yeah. uh, occur. I mean, I think it's a fair description. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> the widow who keeps coming. <laughs> I know, but that's maybe not so great. No. Um, and even that's just, uh, it's just, uh, it's just an, an imperfect uh, verb. Yeah, so it's right. just, she was, you know, coming and coming over and yeah, again. Coming. The really fascinating phrase actually, end of five, is the ice telos erkomene, mm-hmm. with her coming yeah. unto the end, you know, that's which right. is a <laughs> euphemism for keeps coming, right, on and on. Yeah, yeah. going to wear me out, you know. Continually coming. Yeah, her continual coming. So, uh. Yeah, let's do some sermon starters. Let's explore some sermon starters. That can mean anything. That can mean just random ideas. It could be here's a sermon idea, fully formed, and anywhere in between. Let's yeah, let's yeah. explore some uh, some sermon starters. Where might you uh, go with this kind of text if you were preaching it soon? Yeah. So I think uh, what what I would love to do is explore what happens if I place myself in the position of the widow. What happens if I admit that sometimes I'm the unjust mm-hmm. judge? And there might be multiple variations of both of those positions within a congregation at any given time. So I would want to consider together with with my congregation, do we have widows who need tending to and who have gone unheard among us, whatever Mm -hmm. that might look like in our our life together? Um, Of course, without naming them, but in our corporate life, in our life as the church universal are there ways in which we ourselves are denying justice to people who are asking us for it. Um, and then also I'd want to, to invite my congregation, I think to think about, well, are we willing to be as undignified as this widow clearly was perceived mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in order to pursue faithfulness and strength of heart with God while we wait for his return. So those are some of the, questions I think I would want to dig into in a sermon from this passage. Faithfulness and strength of heart in prayer <laughs> and the willingness to bear the shame yeah. of being those who depend on a God who cannot be seen. Right. Um, right. No, I think, I think that's really good. I think we are, we tend to in Western culture, we tend to, immediately align ourselves with the underdog in the story and to root for them Mm. and from our position of, for those of us who occupy a a position of privilege, we tend to forget or gloss over just how wretched this widow would have been perceived. Mm. Mm -hmm. She really was a person who was shameful, shameless, but really not the person you would want to identify with. In, in Luke's culture. That brings me back to this random observation from the beginning about um, this kind of uh, passing reference to this third character in the story. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I wonder if that actually might be a way to get in mm. for our audiences in a sermon, right? To kind of, because of the shame kind of bit, right? So the, the, the ease with which we might just try to identify ourselves with the underdog in a way that then doesn't help us to see um, our own complicitness and in, injustice. But then if I came at my 
unless I'm just a really good preacher, getting my audience to identify with the judges can be really hard too, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, for double reasons, because he ends up getting compared, though contrasted, but compared with God, mm-hmm. right? So that's going to create all, so you're going to get both pious resistance and kind of moral resistance. So I wonder if a way in would be to talk about like this guy and as someone who, oh yeah, I know the judge. And if, if, if I had a little problem, I just, I'd bring it up. I'd bring it up at dinner. (laughs) Right. But you know, and, and it could be a good, a way of subtly indicting maybe our lack of boldness in prayer. Yes. Yeah. Is because we've become uh, respectable middle-class people who know how to subtly work with others as equals. Yeah, sure. Oh, there's a power difference, but it's only because of your job. We're all yeah. equal here. <laughs> right? That kind of yeah. that kind of blindness to inequality that comes with right. that's why I say that would be a that would that using that third character could be a way kind of to subtly get into the story yeah. that helps you not just quickly identify with the two obvious characters. It's just a crazy yeah. thought. But yeah. I could definitely picture paint a little picture of, you know, you know <laughs> Jerry, this guy who's yeah. you know goes over to to dinner with the judge and is like, yeah, I've got this, you know, she don't, yeah, don't, you know, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think I think the judge, the judge is is finally brought to the point of having to respond to the widow. Um, yes, because she keeps bothering him, but her problem <clears throat> is the risk is if he doesn't, he she could go public with his negligence. Right. Lose face. Right. Now it strikes me that what, what could, what does the judge have to lose? Well, he could lose face. What does the third unnamed party have to lose? Mm. Something that he owes to the widow. Anyway, what does the widow have to lose? Nothing. And I think when you, when you kind of name it like that, the folks in the pew are, clearly most aligned with the judge or the unnamed party. Yeah. At least in your and I's churches, right? Yeah, right, right. And, and yet Although even, are, even in poor communities, I mean, often the churchgoers and the leaders in the church right. are the slightly more stable ones. Not always, yeah, but right. often. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's, that's really, that's a really clear way to, to name the problem. Yeah. Um, so what does it mean to be in solidarity with her? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is not merely to just practice the metaphor right. uh, by becoming prayerful and saying, God, help me to have, you know, more success as a judge. Right. 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 right, right. Um, but who am I listening to? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. who are the elect of God in my midst? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then that raises this question because there's a whole nother way of hearing verse eight B, mm-hmm. you know, will the son of man find faith on earth? That's not yeah. just asking, after the faithfulness of widows uh, of the, of the elect, yeah, you know, crying out, but also, you know, uh, the faithfulness of those in power to respond to the needs of those without. Yeah. So I'm you know. struck. The, the phrase that came to my mind when you were talking just there is this last phrase, will he find faith on earth? So faith in what direction, faith, what sort of faith, mm-hmm does this have in mind? And it isn't specified, which I think allows us to read it broadly. And one of those ways is, will, I think we could say, will he find that we have kept faith with Mm -hmm. the earth, with 
creation, with our fellow believers, with everyone who needs the justice of God, have we kept faith with them? Not only have we maintained our faith that God is returning or, you know, the faith in that super narrow understanding of salvation from sin instead of salvation to Christ and his purposes. I, I just think this, the, this sort of open possibilities that are just, will yeah. he find faith? Well, what does that mean? I think there's lots of ways we could go with that in a sermon. Yeah, faithfulness to the covenant entails both this, you know, prayerful pleading to God and the way that we treat one another. Right. And they're not separated matters, yeah. right? Yeah. No, that's, that's really good. That's really good. I also, if I were preparing a sermon on this, I don't know if I would be able to resist the temptation to talk about Anna just because Yeah. anytime you get a chance to do that, I feel like I want to. Well, yeah, even if it's just an illusion. Yeah. You know, although again, you can be imaginative and playful and even play this character out. Yeah. Like it is Anna, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, the coming of the one who would, I forget how it's phrased. Something, I, you know, I might say something like waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem and now we are waiting for the coming of the Son of Man who will yeah. accomplish that redemption. Yeah. Well, this is always, I mean, this is kind of a meta question, a meta homiletical question that I always struggle with is um, the, the function of allusions mm-hmm. in our, to other passages of scripture. You know, I mean... Like, it's kind of fun to, like, just leave little breadcrumbs for people who know more of the scriptures. <laughs> On the flip side, like, at what point are we uh, being unfaithful to our duty to, to teach our people yes. more of the scriptures, even when yeah. we preach in one passage? Because I think yeah. Yeah. Um, preaching has become so kind of pericopized where we preach yes. on one passage. And that's good. I think we interpret texts better when we don't yeah. just, like, think, you know, grab random quotes from the whole Bible. So I think there's something good about sticking to one text, Mm -hmm. but um, there's a loss in trying to like really instruct people in, you know, the scriptures as a whole. So I don't know. I'd I'd be really torn whether to like walk through that and make it really explicit, but that takes a little longer and can be extra data that might distract or whether to just leave it as a fun illusion that some people might pick up, you know, is this making sense? You could go really deep and and have one of your major sermon moves be about Anna. Yeah. And then draw it into an equal move that gives space to the parable. Um, and, and I mean, I, I feel like that's the beauty of preaching the lectionary is this text is going to come around again. <laughs> yeah, so you have to get everything right. right. Other things with it there. That yeah. time. I, I, my inclination is actually with you that like anything I'm going to deal with, might as well spend some time with it and really yeah. develop it yeah. instead yeah. of just, you know, right. um, passing over it. It's so funny. I, I feel like I, this is surely a function of my personality and experience as well as my training as like a systematic mm-hmm. theologian or whatever, because the things that were drawing me in were, it's like the same themes, but kind of picking up from the other side, like, yeah. You were talking about the human experience of the widow and working up there. And I was immediately like thinking of like the God talk and thinking of like specifically like the justice and patience of God. That was like the theme that was coming in my mind Yeah, and the way those play off each other and how that also fits into this kind of eschatological framework that we were talking about that God is enacting justice along the way. 
that God and God's patience is also giving time for us to repent of that injustice because once the son of man comes, no more time to get just right. So like God's patience is good news, right? Uh, um, It's giving us time to, to live in accordance with his justice. And yet there is a final justice still to come. And I think that's important. Actually, it occurred to me now that, that in the sermon that you kind of start, I mean, we didn't put it in structure or anything, which is fine that really focuses on the characters and those experiences and, and, and question and asking questions about our own mm-hmm. justice and injustice now yeah. um, it can actually be really helpful, precisely anticipating some pushback from congregations. Maybe yeah. who don't like, well, it's social justice preaching, whatever <laughs> to be able to clarify, like, Hey, we know the difference between the proximate justice that happens in this life right. and the final justice to come when the son of man returns. Right. That's, to, to sort of embrace a kind of both and between a kind of eschatological justice and a more imminent uh, humanly enacted justice. And they're both legitimate yep. and they're connected, but they're not identical. Um, right. I feel and like that would be helpful, even if it was just an aside in right. an otherwise sure. uh, neighbor love kind of sermon, yeah. you know? Well, I think, I think you can make the mistake in both directions. You can, you can yeah. think that earthly justice lets you off the hook for eternal justice. You can think that. And therefore prayer eventually. Right. right. <laughs> or, or it's just us. Right? That since it's all going to be reconciled in the end anyway. Exactly. I don't have any duty while I'm alive. Well, so that's a mistake that is made in lots of different ways in our, yeah. in our life together. So those both of those exist and both of them are dangerous to our spiritual integrity to our to our life together yeah and that's conceptually like that would be a classic john drury style sermon right so i'd even move <laughs> on the stage you know like there'd be one extreme over here talk about that you know one extreme over here right and the text itself kind of helps us kind of see the validity yeah. hidden in both yeah. but the truth of of is only in their unity Mm-hmm. Um, and I, again, it's occurring to me now that that would actually be fitting more as a kind of, perhaps as a move somewhere in the middle of a sermon, right? Mm-hmm. That sort of opens with our own, you know, with experiences in the text and our own as they resonate. Yeah. And then as it goes in deeper, sort of exploring that. Yeah. Um, I also, depending on how well I knew the congregation, I would maybe make some space for um, simply let's put it on the table that it's possible that even the most devoted follower of Christ could lose heart. And just to name that possibility, I think maybe even at the beginning could open That's good. Open hearts a little bit to say, you know, because this, as I'm thinking about it now, their need to pray always and not to lose heart. Well, even to say that implies that this is a real thing that happens to us, that we lose heart sometimes. And And we give up on praying. Yeah. When we lose heart, you know, and yet that is right. Yeah. Yeah. And yet that isn't the end of the story. That's the beginning of the story. (laughs) So you could almost preach this as when we have lost heart, let's remember the widow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think there's power in, you know, in my uh, my dad always likes to say that um, 
half the congregation should get a buy every week. The key is it can't be the same half every week, right? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> to, to just go ahead and say, like, this sermon's mainly for you who are losing heart. You right. know? Right. And some of you here, you just need to tuck this away for a rainy day because yeah. it's not going to apply to you today. And that's okay. Yeah, right. Um, but you still need to hear this because all of us from time to time are going to be tempted to lose heart. That's right. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great place to, I think that's a great place to start a sermon. Um, I've, I I come from a a tradition of preaching and perhaps it's the sermons you grew up hearing too, but the, the over-dependence on humor uh, at the beginning of sermons. I mean, I like being funny. Don't get me wrong. Uh, But uh, sometimes the sermon can actually start really serious, uh, really heavy, draws in you know, yeah. if you do it right, you know, if you really, and again, like you say, how well I know the congregation, right? Sure. That can be a manipulation trick if you're just a guest speaker. But I mean, you're speaking to your congregation. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's a, you know, a pastoral moment. Say so sometimes we lose heart and even open it up. Sometimes I lose heart, you know? Yeah. I get, I get fatigued and, mm-hmm. you know, I uh, resign myself to the injustices of this world, you know? Yeah. And, this this text though, like the tone across this text, it strikes that note of um, pray always and not lose heart. So there's that sort of that openness to the reality that we lose heart. But then it goes into a story about a woman that, in its original context, would have been read as a fairly humorous tale. Hmm. Yeah. You know, we have these caricatures uh. of the sort of the shameless old biddy. And the judge who is so ridiculous that he doesn't care about God or people. Got this old codger vibe to it. Yeah, right. And so, it, I mean, it, there is some comic. Yeah, that's true. Story itself in its original context. So the text itself goes from, you know, sort of this wholeheartedness to comic relief to now let's talk about what this really means. And of course, I mean, I think maybe that's why we do sometimes rely overly much on humor at the beginning of a sermon, because we know that the effect of humor on a listener is to draw you in and say, okay, now you've got me on your side and I'm willing to listen to you. Yeah. Oh, and I'm not one bit opposed to the use of humor. The over-reliance was not about humor, the over-reliance on beginning sermons with humor. Right. And I think really- Yeah. (laughs) Doesn't always have to start funny. No. You can get that humor in the second move. Right. Yeah, just like right. Jesus does here. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, to kind of acknowledge that pain and yeah. then start to loosen up. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, loosen us up with a sort of exploration of the story. Yeah. And then a turn to these sort of theological questions of, yeah. of the, you know, I'm feeling like this is going to be the, the conversation. And I'm not surprised given the fact that it was you, my, my, <laughs> uh, that I mean, I'm looking. I'm I'm seeing a verse by verse expository sermon here yeah, that still has a, that still has a an arc to it. Yes, it does. But it's the arc of the text itself. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes right. an expository sermon verse by verse doesn't have the the movement that a, that would be natural for a modern sermon, and that's okay. I don't think we always have to go verse by verse. I think this one just invites it because opening framing device, a little story you know, and then a more explanation of the story and then a kind of challenge at the end. I mean, it's a straight, it's, <laughs> yeah, right. like it's perfect, right? 
it ends with a question that you yeah. have to respond to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Altar call, baby. Every eye, every, oh, every head bow, every eye closed. <laughs> and even though I would want to do the the eschatological nearness and farness yeah. thing at yeah. some point, yeah. Of course, verse eight because it doesn't say, as you said, way at the beginning, it doesn't say return, it just says comes. Yeah. And the coming of the son of man is this very ambiguous term. Yes, yeah. Is he talking about his first coming? Right. Uh, his arrival in Jerusalem. Right. That, is he finding, I know it's put in the future, but that could be a near future. Yes. And that could be helpful in a moment. It, again, after having, ex, having opened up the eschatological yes. historical, after locating us in, 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 a larger time frame to bring it back at the end of the story and say, you know, the son of man is coming. He knocks at the door, right? right. Behold, I am coming soon. Uh, And in the rest, are we faithful? Will we be faithful? Yeah. You know, you're starting to say something there. We got cut off. Like, so the, the first coming of the son of man or the resurrected coming of the son of man or the final coming of the son of man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Or the way he comes in the breaking of bread yes. and in the, when two or three are gathered in his name yeah. right here in yeah. this moment, right. You know? right. Will he find faith on yeah. the earth? <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Thanks so much for taking the time. I feel like, I feel like we've uh, covered enough and it's been an hour and hopefully there's enough there for people to work with who are listening in. Absolutely. I feel like I've been to church today. <laughs> oh, hey, praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, John. It's been a lot of fun. Well, a little church broke out. What do you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much, uh, Sarah, uh, for being guest today. And thanks yeah. to all our listeners. As always, make sure to, uh, if you get a chance to rate and review and subscribe and share and get the word out of what we're doing in here. And, uh, and I want to say thanks to uh, Eric Fisher uh, and Todd Bouchong, who help out with the uh, production and editorial work. I can't imagine doing this without them. And a big thanks to Tom Adamson. Uh, for donating the theme music. And with that, we say, have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.